Let me take one more sip of water and then we'll get started. This podcast sponsored by Liquid Death. No, it's not. Don't edit that out. <laughs> All right. I would love for Three. this to get sponsored by Liquid Death. I love Liquid Death. That's a new thing I've learned. Maybe one day, Eric, but now we got to record the podcast. Are you ready? Already. Oh, I was born ready. (laughs) Okay. All right. and gentlemen welcome to episode two of pixel snobs i am your host and gaming sommelier nigel heighton and today i am joined by gestures in your direction eric <laughs> eric parker the uh less knowledgeable uh not really a sommelier more like a avid fan of video games uh you you would if i'm the sommelier you would be like the wine taster that's fair. I can take that title. I'll, I'll take that. The Wine Taster of Video Games. I think that's pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I, I don't know how much you want to lollygag on this part, Eric, but, like, do we want to establish, like, how we know each other or anything like that? Or do we want to just, like, dive straight into it? Well, I mean, maybe we can do just a just a real quick thing. No, we don't need to do a huge overview, but we've known each other now for a few years. We met through uh, doing an internship together and... Uh, Quickly learned that we had a lot of common interests, one of which was video games, and then we kept in touch, even though I live in Michigan and you live in Virginia, so uh, yeah, you you talked about this idea, and I said, yeah, let's do it, so now we're jumping into <clears throat> being snobby about video games, apparently. Yes, uh, yeah, so I actually asked, we were talking about this before, and I <laughs> asked Eric, like, po- you know, propose the idea of doing this with me. And like, hey, you should we should do a podcast together. And he just gave me the middle finger and walked off. Uh, so uh, but hey, we're, we're here now. And uh, Eric is currently in the running for a potential permanent <laughs> co-host. Uh, we'll uh, see. I don't remember saying no. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, apologies if I did. But, you know, whatever. It's it's neither here nor there, Eric. Uh, I forgive you. Regardless, it's in the past, and all we can do is move forward. You Correct. Know? So, by the way, who uh, our game for today, by the way, is called Road 96. <clears throat> um, but before I go through all the details of the game, who do you remember who came up with the idea to play this game? Was it you, Eric? I So, you have like a, like a note uh, that you shared with me of a list of current games that you want to do episodes on. And I just simply looked at that list and was looking at different games that, um, were easily available for me to play, uh, using like a game pass right now. And row 96 was on that list. So I just, uh, downloaded it, started playing it and told you like, Hey, I've been playing it. It's really fun. We should do an episode on it. So, I mean, it was like kind of both of ours cause you already had the list, but I was the one that like, started playing it and told you like we should do right. an episode on it right 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 yeah because i remember i started playing this uh a while back and then just never hopped back into it but anyway before we continue all this let me uh spell out all the details 
uh, for Route 96. Route 96 was developed by Digix Art. Uh, that's D-I-G-I-X Art. Uh, published by Raven's Court Games. It was released on August 16, uh, 2021. And it is currently available on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X slash S, Nintendo Switch and PC, and as Eric mentioned earlier, if you are an Xbox player and you have Game Pass, it is on Game Pass right now. You can play this game for free, no extra cost to you. And then, the description of the game is, uh, which I found on the publisher website for uh, from uh, Raven's Court Games, is Summer 1996, today is the day, exclamation point. You hit the road, adventure, freedom escape run flee the regime try to survive on this risky road trip to the border you'll meet incredible characters and discover their intertwined stories and secrets in an ever evolving adventure but every mile opens up a choice you uh, a choice to make your decisions will change your adventure change the people you meet maybe even change the world there are thousands of roads across the authoritarian nation of Petria. Which one will you take? And also, fun fact, Eric, that I think you in particular will enjoy is that on the website it's said that this is an ever-evolving story-driven adventure inspired by Tarantino and the Coen brothers. Oh, interesting. Yeah. We, oh, and... We uh, do both like those Bong, directors. Yeah, as well as Bong Joon-ho. But I don't know who that is. <laughs> Is that so, the guy that did? No, I'm not going to embarrass myself. I, I, yeah, Tarantino, Coen Brothers. I like a ton of their movies, and yeah, there. Yes. I mean, I definitely could pick up some story-driven elements. Also, I think it was hard to, you know, reflect them heavily in the video game with the style of it. But we'll we'll get into more of that later. But yeah, right. So, uh, Eric, you as well as my uh, brand new friend Roger. Uh, which, by the way, uh, if you listen to the last episode uh, with my lovely friends Emily and Sophie, Sophie mentioned her brother and how he likes to play video games. He reached out to me after the podcast and was like, hey, I'd really like to help out with uh, podcasting stuff. And so that's that's who I'm talking about when I say Roger. So huge shout out to Roger. He's been very helpful with uh, like any questions I have, um, advice for making the podcast and i think he wants to be involved uh in the production area of things um i definitely intend to have him on on a uh, future episode um particularly for a game that you cannot play eric <laughs> so so that'll be a <laughs> yeah. good a good way for him to fill in but uh i bring that up because uh i think roger originally brought up this idea and eric you were like yes you should do that which is instead of waiting till the end of the episode to spoil the game for everybody. We just go ahead and give our ratings right now at the beginning. Uh, so that way, if you really want to play this game and you don't want it spoiled for you, you can just stop the episode now, play the game and then come back and listen to our thoughts on it. So I don't have to keep doing what I was doing with Sophie and Emily and being like, Hey, let's save that part for the end. And that way we can just kind of speak yeah. <laughs> uh, openly. So, uh, before we enter the spoiler zone, uh, Eric, what is your uh, score out of 10 for this game? So overall, I think I I gave this score multiple times uh, on my like subcategory. So I didn't like officially average it out, but it just kind of felt 
good for me. But I, I'm going to give it a 7.3 out of 10. Wow. Uh, Very specific. For my overall rating. <laughs> I, I did do decimals for all of my ratings, so be prepared for Holy that. Holy moly. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I, I would say I, I was leaning towards 7.5. So I'll, I'll be the more slightly optimistic one oh, and say okay. 7.5. Okay. Which we'll we'll get into the details of that uh, later, but uh, but before we dive into that, like overall, Eric, would you say that this is still worth picking up in the first place? Oh, absolutely. So like, I obviously I already have Game Pass, a paper Game Pass. So in my mind, it was like free for me to play, and even with that, like super fun, super uh, unique play style. We're gonna break down some of those things in the podcast, but I would pay money for this easily. Uh, it's, it's nice cause I'm, I'm married and, uh, my wife who is not like plays video games or anything, but like we enjoy a lot of the same narrative elements. Uh, we've recently been playing more and more games together, air quotes, where I'm mainly playing and she's watching and talking with me that are more narrative driven games. And she didn't play this one because I was like sick for a week. And I basically played most of the game while I was sick and she was still working. But uh, these are the kind of games that I would highly recommend for even a situation like that. If you have a group of friends or you're a couple and you're looking for uh, just kind of a more uh, narrative driven story, this is like a super good game for that. Yeah, one of one of my new goals for this podcast has become to convince my girlfriend, Nikki, to sit down and watch me play a video game. And, like, actually enjoy it. Because every time I have brought that up, she's like, that sounds like the worst time ever. Um, I would never do that. Or, well, she, I don't think she said I would never do that. But she definitely she definitely expressed her distaste at the idea. Um, so I really, I really want to figure out a game that would really grab her attention. So this might be it. Um, uh, and I would definitely agree with your sentiment, Eric, that this is, this is a good game. And, and also, um, like... If you have Game Pass, like, obviously play this game because it's free. But even if you don't, like, you have a PlayStation or a Nintendo Switch or whatever, it's only 20 bucks. So, and, and it goes on sale pretty frequently, I think, too. And also, really funny detail, at least on a Nintendo Switch, the game costs $19.96. <laughs> I mean, those four cents. No, no, but do you get it, Eric? Oh man, I'm a little because it's room ninety six. Yeah, yeah no. But also, I, the, I thought you were like, Dude, man, it's four cents cheaper on the Switch, and I was like, super cool. But no, I get it. Nineteen ninety six. No, no, yeah, no, no. Yes, and also the game takes place in nineteen ninety six. But with that said, mm -hmm. uh, let's move on to the first category. Oh wait, wait, wait! Before we do that, Eric, I need you to give me a highway to the spoiler zone, please. All right, all right. The highway to the spoiler zone. <laughs> Passable. Uh, work on it. <laughs> okay, thank you. Okay, yes, yes. All right, so let's talk about uh, the visuals, which, quick reminder, this is just, like, the general appearance of the game, but it's also, uh, like, how things within the world that you see with your eyes contribute to the uh, storytelling. So... One thing that me and Eric were talking about yesterday was how interesting the animation in this game is because uh, uh, the first thing you said, Eric, was that it looks like Borderlands. Yeah, that was super funny because we like touched base a little bit about this game before recording the podcast, but we really did want to try to have 
much more of like organic conversation on the podcast. But one of the few things we both already agreed on when I called you and we were like touching base and I was like, uh, yeah, like this game has like cell shading in a way where it somehow reminded me of Borderlands and you were like, I literally wrote down the same thing. And I was like, oh, yeah, like so it, yeah, we can't be the only ones that that reminds us of that. Right. And uh, I think the only way I deviated from that was I said it looks like it was Borderlands blended with uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, yeah, which I could see that, definitely. However, the one thing I will say is there were definitely times where, like, I would look at a object or, like, a wall or something, like, kind of closely, and it was very pixelated. <laughs> um, like, it, yeah. there were definitely areas where it lacked polish, but mm. if you're not super picky about that kind of thing, which I'm usually not, it's just more of, like, times where it, it, that lack of polish, like, stands out from the rest of the actual polish in the game is where it bothers me. Mm -hmm. uh, but there weren't too many times where that happened in the game. Uh, um, I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, just that I didn't like it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, for me, like, it's a decision you have to make, and we were kind of talking about this briefly, that if you look at, like, the original Borderlands games using that comparison. The nice thing about that is even though that game came out in 2009, like we had to look it up to remember that it's been out for over like 10 years that if you went back and played um, Borderlands, I think it would relatively hold up from like a graphics and visual standpoint. Like, I don't think it would be hard to watch and I don't think it would be purely a nostalgia, like uh, driving you to think that it looked good. Like, I think the decision to do like the cell shading and that style of animation uh, helps to like, elongate the uh the ability for the game to seem like visually appealing and i think in some ways road to 96 road 96 is the same way where i could definitely see that if like in a couple years with like a different console and updated graphics and everything if i was like you know what i want to go revisit this game i don't think i would be like uh like it's so harsh to look at and like i'm not enjoying the visual side like i think it would be unique enough and have like held up since then which i think is like a good like, that's why I gave it a decently high score on visuals, um, which I gave it the 7.3 out of 10 that I gave the overall. Yeah, thing, like, so. Borderlands and the whole, like, Spider-Verse animation definitely has, like, this timeless quality to it where it just doesn't seem like it would age. Like, I feel like in time there might be some parts that you could scrub up for sure. Um, but, yeah, like, it, it, it really doesn't age very quickly at all where other games like Call of Duty for instance, definitely do uh, age. Mm. Like, you know, you can play a, a Call of Duty game from, like, three, four years ago and be like, oh, geez, like, this looks a little rough. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, some of this we might get into more detail with the narrative portion, but uh, to quickly go over this, the, the game itself, uh, if I don't think this was mentioned in the description I gave, but so the, the whole point of the game is that you are a teenager and you are trying to... Uh, escape the country that you are in because it's under this totalitarian uh, rule and you're trying to, to cross the border to get into another country. But the thing is, is whenever you succeed or fail at that, the game uh, puts you into the shoes of a different teenager um, and you do the same thing again, except that you take a different path and all that. But the reason I bring that up uh, was for... Uh, this portion of the visuals where I thought it was really interesting where 
things that you did in your previous playthrough would carry over like in a physical manner into the next playthrough. So like Eric, do you remember that cave at the end on like the actual road 96, the cave that was there. And like every time you spray painted something. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I totally, I actually forgot about that. Yeah. That was fun. It was so you could like spray paint a message basically based off of some of the core like themes that you choose between in the game, which we'll get more into with the, the narrative. And then, um, you could also like built, put a rock on that little, like, uh, like monument thing that like the teens were oh, supposed yeah. to be building. So it's like every single time you had a teen reach there, it's like the next time you came through, if you were able to make it to like the final stretch, like road 96, I think it was always like you're nine miles or six miles away or something. Like you could see like the, that you had been there and it was like kind of cool. Cause in the narrative, it's like as the new teens getting there, it's like, Oh, other teens have made it this far because the point of it is that like, it's not just like the normal difficulties with like a teenager trying to hitchhike or like cross their country. It's like on top of that, it's super dangerous because of like laws and the totalitarian government and also just weird people who are like out on the road. So it's like a hopeful thing that's like being left for them as they get to the, the kind of final stretch before they actually try to cross the border. But yeah, I I totally forgot that that was actually something you could see in your next playthrough. I also, I only, I played four different teens. I guess I should say this up front. I played four different teens, so four different playthroughs. Only two of them made it to the border. Really? One of them crossed the border. Yeah, I was like, I don't know if I'm just a bad decision maker in, like, survival settings or something, but I was like, like, I looked up, uh, I kind of scrubbed through a guy's playthrough on YouTube of this, and he freaking crossed the border with his very first teen. And I was like, what the heck? I didn't even make it to the border with my first teen. Like, my first teen got caught before I made it to the border. My second teen made it to the border, but got caught trying to cross it. My third teen, I don't even remember what happened, but I remember I got, like, arrested super early on. And then my fourth teen, I, like, got to the border. Wow. So you're not going to like me very much. I know, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah, so I made it across the border my first, second, and third time. The fourth time I did it, which we we can talk about this more later, but uh, I died at the border, but I was saving Zoe because I was crossing the border with her, and it got to a point where it was like, sacrifice yourself so Zoe can cross the border or just go by yourself. And I chose to save her, hoping it would save both of us, but it only saved her, and I got shot, and I died. Yeah. And then the <laughs> fifth time... This one was pretty wild. Uh, was uh, you know that Jared guy with the fedora? Real, real creeper yeah. vibes. Uh, I the one who's trying to kill us. Uh, yeah. Sonya. So I, yeah. I was uh, in his cab, and uh, there was a point where like the car broke down, and he goes to check on the engine, and this yeah. part was actually mm-hmm. kind of tense. And there's uh, he has a VCR in the front seat and tapes and stuff. So I leaned forward and played a tape of like his dead daughter dying at this terrorist attack that happens at the beginning of the game. And, uh, Uh he gets back in the car and he's like, why is my VCR warm? And I'm like, uh, (laughs) I don't know. And he's like, which one of those tapes did you watch? One of them was very personal to me. And I was like, 
And, and I was, uh, I also needed to leave because I was supposed to go to a movie with Nikki and her friend. So I was like, ah, I don't really care what I do here because I need to leave. And I was like, yeah, I watched the tape with your dead daughter on it. And he just turns around and shoots me <laughs> and I died. It was, oh, he was shoot. like, he was like, you yeah, know what I, I have to do now, right? I had and that interaction. Just, boom. <laughs> oh, man. I had that interaction, but it was, it, it went a little differently. But back to, to try to wrap up visuals, the, the last thing that I thought was super interesting, and I feel like it's now a good time to mention it based off of you talking about, like, you died in the game and stuff like that, is the overall visual design of the game is very cartoony and, like, bright. And I thought that that was interesting because it definitely contrasts the, like, more dark and serious narrative of the oh, game. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, at the end of the day, this game is literally about, like, teenagers that feel so hopeless in their totalitarian government of a country that they're risking their lives to, like, try to travel hundreds, if not thousands of miles across their country to escape. And some of them have, like, abandoned their families. Some of them have gone with, like, the blessing of their family. And, like, all of them are risking that if they get arrested, there's, like, this rumor that you basically get sent to these, like, work camps. It's not like you just get arrested and, like, brought back home. It's not just, like, that you get arrested and, like, I don't know, do, like, a couple hours of juvie or something like that. Like, it's literally, like, you get arrested and you permanently go and live at a work camp until you die. Like, it's a super dark narrative and premise, but then the game itself is kind of cartoony and like are you talking about the pits with the work camp thing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah all right so next up is sound which still i don't have like a ton to say about this but i definitely have more to say about it than i did with uh edith finch yeah sound got the lowest rating like out of all the sections but it still scored like overall well but it definitely had the like, it was the most shallow of all, like, the topics for this game. Yeah, for sure. However, well, well why, why, why don't you tell me your thoughts first? So, like, the coolest part about the sound was, like, it did have, like, some 90s aesthetic with, like, the, like, the radios you were listening to. So, because you're, like, literally traveling, like, because you're li literally traveling through a game, like, you're in cars and vehicles, like, constantly. So the major collectible in the game is to get like cassette tapes. So like you might do something and someone like gives you a cassette tape cause you did like, you had like a nice interaction with them or like you're, you're looking around in like an area and you find a cassette tape or like you steal a car and there's a cassette tape like in the, the uh, like cassette recorder. So you take it out. And then later in the game, uh, like, it, it crosses all your teens. You still have those cassettes. So, like, later you can be in a car and, like, it always gives you the option to, like, play a cassette. So then while, like, the game's going on, you could have, like, this soundtrack going that maybe you really like that someone gave you. And then there were, like, just some good, like, atmospheric sounds. And my, my biggest kind of thing I thought about with the sound design was, like, voice acting. And I said that, like, I thought the voice acting was good. But it just it, – it wasn't like – I didn't have anything bad or good to say about it. Like it right. was very just like – it was what I expected the game to have like voice acting like level-wise. Like it's not a huge title. So I'm not looking for like God of War level voice acting, right? Or like right. Last of Us level voice acting. But I also wasn't like laughing at them trying to do something and being like this is awful. Like it was it, – it accomplished the job it needed to accomplish. Yeah, it was definitely passable, but also nothing to, like, rave at either. Mm -hmm. um, but 
But yeah, the the main thing I said for sound, which you kind of already covered, was like e- even though like the voice acting wasn't like out of the park or anything, uh, the soundtrack or the sound like the original songs they wrote for it, like with vocals and all that stuff, I thought was freaking stellar, like really really good. Um, because the first time I played this game, I only did like two playthroughs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember listening to the songs and being like, wow, these are like, I could jam to these and looking them up on Spotify. And like, occasionally I will listen to a road 96 original song that they wrote for this. that has like very heavy, like nineties vibes to it. And it's really good. So like, e- even though the voice acting portion wasn't, uh, you know, award winning or anything, but still, you know, good. I thought the music was like really, really good and fit mm. the tone uh, of uh, like the road trip tone very well uh, as well. It definitely so. fit the road trip tone. And I think the only reason it didn't like, I don't know, maybe blow me away as much as you did is it just kind of felt it felt extremely like in the background, but not in, like a bad way where like it should be because it's just music. Like you don't want to be trying to like focus on the story and like there's music in the background that's like pulling you out of it but like i still gave it a good score i gave it a 6.5 out of 10 but it just wasn't like i don't think i was nearly blown away by it as you were but also like you know that's just like difference of opinions in that regard yeah it's okay if you're wrong you know oh oh thank you nigel i appreciate it (laughs) um uh no I, i i get what you're i get what you're saying uh i i just my thing is, I think if there is a video game that makes music that's so good that you want to listen to it when you're not playing the game, like there's definitely something to be said for that. You know what I mean? Uh, like the one of the only other games I can think of where I listen to the soundtrack to it outside of playing the game is Kentucky Route Zero, which I know you're super thrilled to play that with me one day. But um, <laughs> anyways, uh, why don't we move on to the fun factor? So, Fun Factor got the second highest score uh, for me, like 7.8 out of 10. And I will say that this was the most surprising category that I, like, had a lot to talk about. Because originally, like, I looked at the game, knew, like, nothing about it, downloaded it. And the beginning of the game starts very, like, this is going to be a narrative-driven game. So, uh, this is a game that... I, me and my wife played that I uh, have been telling Nigel that we should do an episode on called As Dusk Falls. And that is like an extremely narrative game. Like you have a couple quick time events moments, but most of what's like grabbed you to watch and play this game is that it's like you're making decisions that are like really intense. So I just thought this was going to be another version of that with Row 96. But then like I ended up having way more fun than I thought I would. And it was almost ex- like almost exclusively because of all the like mini game elements that are in the game. Right. Like the, so this game is procedurally generated. Like if we haven't mentioned that already, so everybody's playthroughs are are somewhat different. So we, me and Nigel were talking about that a little bit yesterday. And like one of my first, my, as soon as I loaded in, I immediately got to have an interaction with John. Who's this like uh, truck driver, who works for like this secret terrorist group. And when you, and my literal first interaction with him was that he was drunk and we were like walking somewhere. And then because he was drunk, he thought he was like this amazing goalkeeper. 
So there was a soccer ball and he like made a makeshift goal and you were just doing like penalty kicks against him. And it was like for no other reason than because it was just like a thing to do. But it was like super fun. And like I wrote down just like a handful of them that I can remember off the top of my head, like without looking up the game. Things that I remember off the top of my head were like kicking the soccer ball against Sean, playing the tank game with Alex, playing Connect Four versus Zoe, playing the trombone with Zoe, playing all the different games with uh, at the party with Sonia. And like I I've like forgotten a ton of them. And there's ones that I didn't even get to experience. And like all the mini games were like unique enough to where it didn't feel like you were just like stuck doing the same thing again. And a lot of them, even if you were forced to do it once, whether or not you wanted to continue to do it was like up to you. So like the connect four versus Zoe, you have to play her once in like the scene. But after that, you can just like keep playing her if you want to. And like, I got like weirdly competitive because I lost the first game of connect four against Zoe. So then I like went out of my way to like play, I think another two games so I could like beat her back to back. So I felt like I had fully won. So like that just was like super fun to me and and made the game. I like didn't expect the game to have those elements. I honestly, I think what it is that made the mini games fun. Cause I feel like otherwise I would not care. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think what made them fun was the fact that it was not just a game, but it was a bonding experience that you were having with the character. Yeah, that you were especially doing that thing with. Like both of the ones I mentioned with Zoe are like pivotal moments for like your your relationship developing with her. Especially the trombone moment when you're like at the camp, you first met her, you're playing the trombone by the fire, and then you guys get kicked out of the camp. Like literally later, when you interact with Zoe again as a different teen she, like, references that bonding moment with, like, your previous character. She's like, oh, I met this person at the trailer park, and they were really cool, and and she says something like, I hope they made it to the border and, like, made it over. And you're like, oh, that was me. That's really cool to, like, have that experience. Yeah, I I, uh, talked about that somewhat the, uh, I think, later on in the narrative portion. But that was, it, it, but but that contributes to fun factor, too, because it definitely made... Like, drew my attention in, for sure, knowing that the game was paying attention to the other stuff I was doing. Uh, and, and it was interesting because... Well, you know what? I'll save that for the the narrative part. But the other fun thing I enjoyed that you did not mention is... Uh, is I got really invested into, like, man- like, the management portion of the game. Because you're all the teens have like energy bars, right? Mm-hmm. And doing different things costs energy. So like if you decide to walk along the road towards the border, that'll cost you like three, four energy, which is a, like a good chunk. But then if you interact with certain characters or you look through dumpsters or whatever, you can find some money and then mm. you can uh, buy a bus ticket and that only costs you like one or two energy, and then you can take a nap on the bus, and that will like give you more energy back. Um, and so, I really liked how I would go to different locations and be like, "Okay, what what is the best way for me to play this out to ensure that I have like the best amount of energy and also possibly the most amount of money I have too?" Because money is also a management. Uh, issue because when you get to the border there are multiple ways to cross the border um one of them is like you can hide in a truck and get across that way 
You can pay a coyote to take you over the border. Um, you can also pay a guy for like an access card that takes you to these secret tunnels. Uh-huh. Um, but if you've spent all your money, by the time you get to the border, your only two options are hiding on the truck or climbing, like literally climbing a mountain. And climbing the mountain costs like almost all your energy. And it's well. Funny. And did you try the truck at all? I did. Yeah, the uh, truck I, also requires like almost all your energy because at one point you have to like hold your breath. And right. for every like second you're holding your breath, you lose one of those energy bars. And sure enough, the the time where I got to the border and didn't make it over, I like I think I was being too like stingy with my money and I didn't know if I would need it later on. So I didn't buy like a snack at that table right before I got on the truck. And literally, if I had bought a snack and had full energy bar, I would have made it over. But because I didn't, my person had to like take a breath when you're like trying to be still for the sensor. And like I got caught and I was like that freaking i'm so annoyed like uh, but yeah yeah i i passed that part and i was genuinely shocked that i made it i was like this is costing so much energy how am i i was like i'm screwed like i, yeah. I did not think there was any way i was gonna make it and somehow i did and i, I will got lucky and i will say like the management system was fun my only point to make is like so for the last person i played through where i got over the border i had so much money because it was the procedurally generated interaction where you come across Sonia in the desert. And, like, we're not going to go into depth on, like, each of these characters because that's, like, not even necessarily a spoiler, but just, like, it's for you guys to discover when you play the game. But, like, Sonia's, right. like, this really fake, CN- like, their version of CNN is GNN. This GNN correspondent who, like, literally only cares about herself and is super mean, but like she'll kind of let you tag along sometimes for her own entertainment. And at one point you get to go to this like really popular, basically like a burning man concert festival in a desert, but they have all these like games you can play. And she likes, she wants you to play this, like uh, follow the ball under like the red cup kind of game. And you can play it for a really long time. And I just kept winning because apparently I'm amazing at that game. And by the time I was done, I had like hundreds of dollars so that I had like I didn't have to worry about managing my money for the rest of that playthrough because I literally was just like I have I can buy anything I need. So like at that point, the money management fund kind of like lost its allure because I had just like not broken the game because I didn't like glitch it or anything. But I think they just expect you to not make it that far in the cup game. Uh, but otherwise when I was like having to manage it in other ways, it was definitely like a fun thing to do. Yeah. And what sucks is when I did the cup game, that was the playthrough where I decided to help Zoe cross the border <laughs> and I died. Uh, so, so if I hung on to the money and gone on my own, I would have been able to like pay the coyote and would have smoothly gotten across the border, but it is what it is. Uh, only other gameplay thing I want to bring up is that you get, uh, perks from characters. Oh uh, yeah, that is fun. Can, yeah, and you can use those in future playthroughs. So like one of them is like you have a bigger energy bar. Um, so that and honestly, the bigger energy bar perk is the, probably the reason I survived that whole truck thing. Um, yeah, and also it's fun because like you you have story elements that happen that give you new items that then unlock more dialogue options that then you like when you go through again with a new team, you still have those. So for example, there's like a cop you often interact with named Fanny. And at one point, if you help her, she accidentally leaves in your car 
a uh, government ID. And then later in the game, if you have to interact with any other, like, cops or authority people, you can basically flash the ID, and it helps you, like, have smoother conversations with them. So, like, that's always a fun mechanic to be able to, get like, get things that unlock more narrative things later in the game. Right. And, uh, like, the only ones I can think of besides that were hacking, lockpicking. There was the um, luck There was the luck one uh, right. from Stonia. Sonia, there's... Hacking, lockpicking, the luck one, the uh, energy bar, and the government ID, and I think that's I think that might be all of them. If there's another one we're missing, you know, whatever you guys can figure it out. But like that was pretty fun. So I mean, I honestly was I was pleasantly surprised with the fun factor because when I when you sent me like the categories and I was reading it, I definitely realized that like some of these super narrative driven games are going to be a little lower on the fun factor, but also that's because they're going to be really high on narrative. And, like, that yeah, balance that's... is what, like, brings you to the game. But in this case, I was, like, surprisingly pleased by how fun it was to still play from, like, just a pure video game perspective. Yeah, that that's how Edith Finch was. was, like, there really wasn't a whole lot of, like, fun stuff, but the narrative was out of this freaking world. Um, but And speaking of which, why don't we move on to our final category, which is narrative. So, um, I mean, if anyone's uh, even surprised. Also, it's not the final one. There's artistic value, isn't there? Oh, oh, I'm an idiot. You're right. You know this podcast better than I do. <laughs> if anyone's even remotely surprised, narrative is definitely what scored the highest for me. It got an 8.5 out of 10. And I'll try to rattle down just a couple of my thoughts really quickly. But, like, first of all, I I personally love the setting of this game. I love, like, semi-dystopian societies. Like, I'm a sucker for anything like that. Um, I also love the 90s, like, aesthetics. If there's, like, a show or a movie or a game that's, like, based in the 90s, like, I really enjoy that aesthetics. It's probably because, like, I was born in the 90s, obviously. Um, But also, like, both of those aesthetics are things I liked, and they just, like, put them together in this game. So I love that it's, like, this obvious totalitarian government, like, semi-dystopian thing that's supposed to mirror, like, countries like the U.S., And then the whole idea is, like, it's in the 90s, so tech is still kind of, like, uh, more in its infant stage. So, like, there's no cell phones. People are having to use, like, pay phones. And, like, the video games you play are really basic. Um, And things like that. So I really enjoyed that part of it. The story itself was really cool. uh, Especially how you are, like, learning more and more about... Uh, characters through really organic interactions. So obviously, even now, we haven't spoiled too much of the story of the game. This is obviously where we are going to spoil, like, more intense parts of the game. So, like, uh, you start off, and it kind of gives this... I I only saw this recently because I reloaded the game, but you know that opening cutscene, Nigel, that they do once you've started the game where it kind of gives you a breakdown of all the characters? A breakdown of the character like 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 it's all visual but it's like a quick it's like the opening music is playing and it's like it gives you a quick scene of oh, john yes. driving his big rig and then it gives you a quick scene of like fanny chasing after uh the two robber guys like stan and yeah, Mike gotcha. or whatever his name is. Yeah, yeah so like you watch that and you're like okay these are like unique characters you're gonna come across but like whatever but then as you start playing they start revealing how like they're all connected like yeah. super intricately as well and super like intimately. So it's like we already kind of mentioned this, but like there's a creepy cab driver uh, named Jared and his daughter died in this like infamous terrorist attack that may or may not have been planned by the government. But the government says it was planned by these terrorists. 
uh, like 10 years ago. So he is like, for some reason, on this like path to vengeance to kill Sonya, the like news correspondent we mentioned. Well, then you run into this kid named Alex, who's super smart, kind of young. I think they portray him to be what, like 14 in the game? I, I can't remember. He has not gone through puberty yet. That's <laughs> okay. Well, maybe he's even younger then, but he's super smart. He like makes video games, has all this tech. And you learn that like his biological parents supposedly died in the terrorist attack and he has an adopted mom, but he like has run away because he's trying to find out more information about his adopted mom. Well, you learn that the adopted mom is Fanny, this cop that like is like super about doing a good job with her like career. So she's obviously like working for the totalitarian regime, but she has moments where she like lets her humanity show and like lets things slide and it's, like, interesting because eventually in an interaction with Alex, you can convince him to call his mom. And when he calls his mom is when you're like, oh, shoot, it's Fanny. Like, oh, his mom is this cop. And then it's, like, the cop yeah. is, like, in this, like, romantic relationship, but it's over CV radio with John, the truck driver. So then you're like, oh, shoot, they're connected, too. Like, it's just, like, there's all these, like, connections that you make throughout the game. And then, like, the one that was... I did see coming a little bit, but still was like a pretty good, good twist for me was that Zoe is the daughter of like the minister of oil, I think. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So like she's like this super important, like high profile runaway teen who's like dad is like super high up in the government. But I thought that was like super cool. And I think you find out about those things pretty organically, like they'll tease them. And it's like you start thinking to yourself, oh, is this connection there? And then they eventually will have like a moment where they actually confirm it. And you're like, and it's like, I don't know, it feels good to, for you because I feel like you're like, ah, yeah, I like saw that coming. Like, oh, I got it. Like, I'm pretty, pretty hype about that. Um, and were there any other connections that I didn't discover that you know about, Nigel? Uh, yeah. So the only other connection I can think of is that, uh, did you notice the connection between Stan and Mitch, the two dumb robbers with other people? I didn't end up actually like they were the one story arc that I want to play more of the game to to I I only interacted with them once. So no, I don't know their connection. Okay. So they are big fans of Sonya and oh. they are trying to protect her from Jared. You know what? I did know that. I forgot about that one though. Oh, okay. Well, did you do the part where like you go to their hideout on accident and they <laughs> they steal all your money but then they're like hey if you can help us with this we'll give you your money back and it, it takes you to like this planning board no Did you do that no i didn't get to yes. that one. The, the only interaction i have with them is when they're breaking into the taxi place and they realize that jared's trying to kill sonia and they i know that the attack is going to be at the border Oh, I didn't even get that one. Oh, uh, did you not? <laughs> That's crazy. No. Again, back to the whole procedurally generated part of the game, but yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about the uh, more the procedurally generated stuff in more detail when we get to artistic value, but um, yeah, so it takes you to like this planning board, sort of like uh, that picture of, of Charlie Day from... Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the, the meme from Always Sunny. Yes, that's what I was trying to think of. Uh, yeah, and... So you're trying to figure out what day Jared is going to try and kill uh, Sonya. And so he's and it's sort of like putting like a miniature mystery together because he's like, I'm going to kill her like this this many days after the death of my daughter because she's responsible for my daughter's death and blah, 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 which he really wasn't. But he's 
blaming her for it. And uh, sort of in line with that, I would say my favorite thing about the narrative wasn't necessarily the story itself, but how creatively they told the story. Because I had never seen this in a game where it's like there's like there's this overarching story, right, where there's all these characters that we meet are interacting with each other. And they all have their, like, own different, like, political agendas. And, like, through each of the teenagers you're playing as, you see all those stories uh, progress. But then, and we've kind of touched on this, it's so interesting because while that overarching narrative is happening, there are small stories that are taking place that you are creating as the player playing as mm-hmm. each t- teenager. Yeah. Um, And so, like, I remember reading a thing where, like, this game can have, like, this many endings and all those endings or all those, or maybe it wasn't this many endings. It was like this many unique playthroughs and each one of those playthroughs is a whole nother story uh, that is very likely unique, unique just to you. Oh, the player. interesting. Interesting. Um, where, uh, you know, cause we, we've already talked about how you and I have had like very different experiences playing the game. And have had our own unique storyline happen to each of us while but at the same time the overarching story of what's going on in Petria and all that is still very much the same. Um and also, uh, while I'm talking about this, I feel like I should cover the what I was talking to you about last night, which is like the quote unquote real endings of the game. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And this is actually kind of a criticism. Uh, from me because uh, there's really only three different endings to the game. And I'm sure you notice this where like when you're playing a game, you can do things and say things. And when you do or say those things like vandalizing a poster. Yeah. Or it's either like rebellious. It's looking for like political change or you're just like trying to escape. Right. Right. So if you do one of those things enough, you will get an ending tied to that. I see. Um, so the, if I remember off the top of my head, the worst ending is the one where you're just focused on yourself and like Petria basically collapses and some of the characters that you meet actually die. Um, oh, interesting. The revolt one, uh, Petria is like saved, sort of, and like they get rid of President Tyrak, the guy that's like Yeah, the know. totalitarian ruler. Yeah. Yeah, that dude. Um but like Alex, the nerdy kid, like he makes a bomb <laughs> for <laughs> for uh for the Black Brigades, which is basically the the group that the, the quote unquote terrorist group that's trying to, you know, bring the country back to independence. <sighs> um and so it's like there's freedom, but at the cost of a lot of violence. Uh-huh. And then there's a voting ending where you push everybody to vote and you vote in a new president. And, yeah, it's like, it's like uh, Senator Flores or something, I believe. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, also, like, stuff comes out about how corrupt the previous government was. Because, um, like, I, I'm not sure how far you got with Zoe, but I completely finished her story. Oh, and, I, I didn't uh, completely finish anybody's story, sadly. Right. So I, I thought the endings were going to be a little bit more dynamic than they were. Hence why I sacrificed my character to save her. Because there's one point where you're about to cross the border, but you camp for the night. 
and you're sort of like sharing life with each other. And she's like, hey, because I'm the daughter of this minister, I had access to these secret documents. And she finds a document that confirms that the bombing that happened 10 years prior was planned by the government. Okay, that's um, what I figured. They're like really, they really kind of like nod in that direction the whole game. So I just assume that's what happened. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that definitely happens where it's like, there was a protest planned, but there were bombs up on the mountains to like help with avalanches or something. And so the president uh, commanded for all of them to be set off. And that made it look like it was a terrorist attack when it really wasn't. Um, and so I was like, oh, if I don't save her, this is never going to come out. Um, but I'm, I never watched the endings. I just read that they, what they were, but I got the impression that um, if, even if I did not save her, if, as long as I had played the game, still like telling people, Hey, you should go out and vote and like vandalizing Tyrak posters and like donating money to the Flores campaign over the phone, that the same ending still would have happened. You know oh. what I mean? And, and I also didn't like, and this might just because be because I'm so smart, you know. But um, I also didn't like how, as I was selecting the choices, and they have, like, dip, different symbols beside them indicating, like, what, like, movement you're for. Like, mm-hmm. either rebellion, like a revolt, or voting, like, peacefully, or just focusing on yourself. Like, before I saw the endings... Apart from, like, how it affected other characters, I was like, oh, clearly if I make these decisions, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, right? yeah, I mean, I definitely saw that coming, too, so chill chill out on the, because you're so smart, but I, uh, I do it was agree. definitely a joke, but okay. I know, I know, I'm just giving you crap, but it was definitely a, uh, a very easily foreshadowed thing, so it's like, if you really wanted it to end that way, you could kind of force the hand of it to end that way. Um, which is why, like, still involving narrative, like, I tried to make those decisions just based off of what, like, I wanted to do. So I, I was very, I lean most towards, like, I just wanted to escape, but I also did a little bit of the other ones. Like, I did, I kind of dipped my toe in all of them, and I was just gonna see how it ended up when the ending came. Um, but I mean, like, the narrative's great, uh... It's definitely the driving force behind the game. Like if you if you hear us talking about this narrative and and you know we gave you like the opinion or the uh, like the overall idea of what the game is and you're like that doesn't sound interesting. You're probably not going to want to play the game if I'm just being honest. Yeah. Like if you don't find yeah. the idea of these teenagers trying to run away and you're on the open road and in this totalitarian country, just skip this one. It's not for you. Like you're not going to find it interesting at all. So. Like, the narrative is the driving portion. Like, there's not enough going on in the game outside of that to make you go, oh, I don't care about the story, I'm still going to play this. Uh, like, for example, I'm playing Moonlighter currently. And, like, Moonlighter's story is, like, there. I don't really care about it, though. I really enjoy the gameplay and some of the, like, fun mechanics of, like, a dungeon crawler rogue thing. Um so that's kind of my last thought on on narrative, but because the rest of my thoughts on the story kind of deals with the idea of the artistic value still, uh, with the idea of like obviously this game is like highly artistic with like the political commentary it's making, uh, it's like making comments about like the idea of totalitarian reg- regimes in like a 
U.S. style country. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of put like countries similar to the U.S. So like Canada and the U.K. and like stuff like that, right? Like anything that's like a Western democracy, main mainly because it's this idea of like the whole time you're you're either pushing for like a revolution because you believe that that's the only way change can come. Or you're pushing for this, like, candidate that gives hope that she's, like, not corrupt and everything. Or you see it so, like, hopeless that you're just like, I'm gonna leave. Um, and that's played with, with not just you, but, like, other characters. Like, I, I know there's an interaction with Zoe where you're playing Connect Four and you're riding in the van with these two adults that pick you up. And you listen to their conversation. And their conversation, like, you can tell where they even land on that spectrum. Like, the wife is more... Uh, like, well, I, I think that, like, we can just vote and, like, figure things out from that perspective, and, like, we should just do things by the government, and then the husband is very much so, like, more on the revolting side, where he's like, I think it's good that they're using violence, like, it's the only way to make change happen. So, it's like, it's cool to see that, that commentary throughout the entirety of the game, not just with, like, your interactions. Well, since you're talking about all that, I, I think we might as well just carry on to the artistic uh, value portion of the game or of this discussion, because I, I feel like the majority of the artistic value here comes from its political commentary. However, the one, the one criticism I would have is I thought it was a little bit too simplistic, like... The fact that they said that, like, this is clearly the good ending, and this is clearly the okay ending, and this is clearly the bad ending. Like, I feel like you can't really do that with politics. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, again, we're not going to get, like, into actual politics, more of just, like, the idea of politics. But, like, yeah, I feel like it's hard to... Unless you're pushing your own political agenda, it's hard to, like, be that black and white with the, the like, concept of politics in and of itself. Right. Because, like, the mindset I had going into the game... So, to be clear, this is the playthroughs I did. I did my first playthrough. I just went with my gut decisions. Um, I didn't really think about the decisions I was making. It was more, it was more survival-focused. Second playthrough... Um, I pushed, like, voting, peaceful resolutions, um, all that kind of stuff. Third playthrough, I went, like, full-blown rebellion, right? And just did all revolting. And this is before I knew what the endings were and how these decisions would make it. And then after I figured out, like, oh, this is clearly how to get the quote-unquote good ending, I immediately switched to the peaceful resolution portion. And, like... I don't necessarily disagree with them saying that. However, at the same time, I feel like, and I, I don't think we should dwell on this too much because it's political and I want this podcast to be, you know, fun to listen to. But um, I, I feel like it's just not as cut and dry as that. Like, hey, if you just go out there and vote for the right person, then everything's going to be okay. You know what I mean? Um, where there's clearly been times in our history and the history of other countries where, like, the people had no choice but to, like, not necessarily, like, get violent to the point of, like, bombing people, which, which it turns out in the game was the government in the first place, but, like, to the point where they had to take very drastic actions for things yeah. to change that went far beyond just voting for things. 
I mean, um, yeah. Whenever you try to do anything that involves political commentary, you're obviously not going to be able to do something that I believe everyone agrees on. So it it like it's a bold it's a bold move by the game's design, uh, and it's engaging. And you know, at the end of the day, like something to be artistic just means you want to have a discussion about something, whether it's a good discussion or like a like a positive discussion about the art or a negative discussion about the art. So at the end of the day, like it still accomplished its goal with that. Um, and, and I feel like you're kind of answering one of those discussion questions we were talking about, right? Like what was, what was your feelings or reaction on finding out that the game was highly focused on politics? And like, you're already kind of saying this idea of like, ah, it, it, I feel like they made it too simplistic to black and white. It, it's hard to kind of put politics on that simple of a spectrum. And I, I would completely agree. Like, I think it's a bold choice. I think in some ways it worked out well, but in other ways it was a little too, like, shallow of a commentary on politics. Yeah, and, like, hats off to them for tackling politics. Like, I think they handled it in a very tasteful way. Um, I just, as I kind of said, just did not think it was the most realistic approach to that. And, like, maybe they should have made more than three endings Mm -hmm. or at uh, least had the endings like as you were saying like if you make complex choices throughout the game at least let those little things be a present even if the big endings are kind of those three so even if it is like the big endings are one of those three at least have smaller choices like have like impact on those things right and and like i i'm aware they do not have the budget (laughs) for this example I'm about to give, but a great example of, I think what we're getting at is fallout new Vegas because that is a game that is at least somewhat political. Uh, like you, I actually, no, I wouldn't say somewhat like it is political. Uh, It's 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 literally politics, but it's not as black and white and as similar to like our current politics as it is this game. Right. Right. Like it's definitely not as simplistic as this game, but the endings are like, you helped these people and this thing happened, but because you helped this other person or because you made this decision, it affected this other thing in this way and so on and so forth. Uh-huh. Like the endings to the Fallout New Vegas games, or uh, not games, just the game, yeah. Fallout New Vegas, uh, is like tons of different endings. And they're all, and they all focus on the most minute decisions to the most bold and outrageous decisions you make. If it, like I said, I'm aware they don't have the budget for that. And that's demanding a lot of them. But, um, the, but unfortunately the downside to that is our main criticism, which is this whole thing ends up being more simplistic than it really is. Whereas fallout new Vegas, even though it's a game about the post-apocalyptic world, like it, it actually like the, the resolutions and like the endings seem to come more naturally I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, um, and but- and like the only other really artistic thing that I put, pointed out from the game is a pretty pretty common like concept that there's ever wh- whatever kind of media, whether it's a song, a movie, a television show, a video game, whatever. Whenever you have anything that involves like a journey being like the central like setting, uh, it's always the typical kind of argument of what's more important, the the final destination or like the journey itself. And like for me at least. When I started playing the game, it literally only mattered the final destination. Like, I was very fixated on, like, accomplishing a normal video game and wanting to 
get to the end of the game. Like, I want to beat the game. And then it's like, as you keep playing, the the more interactions you have with these characters, the more you learn about the current climate of, like, the culture and the political kind of socioeconomic sphere of everything, like, you become very ingrained in, like, oh, like, yeah, I want to help my team cross the border, but I'm more focused on, like, developing these, like, relationships and having these bonding moments and things that we already talked about. So that's a pretty common commentary on almost any kind of piece of media that deals with, like, a Final Destination, right? Like, there's all kinds of movies that are about road trips, right? Like, I'm thinking of so many off the top of my head. And it's like, they're always, like, trying to get to some, like, last place, right? Like, I don't know why, but, like, the dumb one I'm thinking about is, like, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Like, they're trying to get right. to White Castle, right? Like, super, super, like, dating myself. Like, trying to get to White Castle. But, like, at the end of the day, like, everything that's entertaining is everything that, like, happens to them on the way to White Castle. And it's like... For sure. It's still the same premise in this game. Like, you might be drawn to the game by going, I'm going to, like, have fun trying to get my teen over the border. But at the end of the day, it's like, I have more fun learning what's going on and building those relationships with those characters. Right. And, and honestly, I, w- I would also say if you're like ending focused on playing the game like that, uh, you're just like, I want to make it to the end. You're you're missing the point. <laughs> yeah. Like you prob- you're probably you got to be playing it for game. the journey. You probably just yeah. won't enjoy the game at all because you'll just feel like everything's dumb. You'll be like, oh, why do I have to do this? But it's like if you're enjoying the story and like the relationships, then like you want to be doing it. So that's yeah, that's a good point to make. So, uh, what other discussion questions do you have before we close out here? So, the the two other ones I had, because we already kind of talked about one, was uh, if you were actually to be put in this universe, so you feel like you would actually be picked up and dropped into Petria, and you're, you know, go go back a few years and become a little 16, 17-year-old Nigel, uh, and do you think you would choose the path of, like, that Reformation the path of like revolution or would you just try to like escape? Um, I have two different answers, honestly. Uh, like if, if I were me as a 16 year old and had like the mental, like, uh, attitudes and, you know, mental growth and maturity that I did at that age. Um, I think I would be straight up like, vote for change you know uh-huh. which i don't dis- and which today i don't disagree with at all um uh but i think if i were me now but i just happened to be in a 16 year old body it would be a mixture of the voting and the revolution uh uh mindsets because i think as i sort of already discussed like in you know as i've grown older I realize it's not as cut and dry as like vote for the good guy and everything will be better. Like it's just not like that at all. It also makes me laugh because the two that you were mentioning are the two that I like don't think for myself. Like, like I think whether or not I'm like 16 year old Eric or I'm like myself. And the only thing that would change based off of where I'm at now is that like, I would want Alice and my wife to like escape with me. So, like, if we were both able to escape, I feel like I would just want to, like, escape. But, like, if we, if, like, I guess if, like, only I could escape and, like, Allison wouldn't want to, like, I would stay and, like, try to work for a reform. Like, I would, like, probably try to vote. But I think 
there's there's something about kind of the like grass is always greener thing that I think sticks with me, where I, it's like they never they never give you any insight into what the country you're trying to escape to is like, right? Like they always that is keep a good that point. very like yeah. mystical, and I feel like that's the point. Is like it seems like this promised land almost, and I feel like that is kind of what like makes that option more alluring to me. Yeah. Um, but I, I will say that even if I was making those two decisions, like my end goal would probably still be to leave at least temporarily. But I feel like during my journey, since it's such a long journey, are you doing so many things during that time? I would be trying to make things better as I moved along. Well, that's but, fair. And good guy, good guy, Nigel, you know, everybody. Um, now, this was the last question, and this has less to do with the the artistic thing that's being done in the game, more to do with the actual, like, mechanism of the game, but uh, which which of these would you prefer normally, and why? Something more procedurally generated, like this game, or something with, like, a more straight uh, forward telling? So, with the fact this is only your second episode, the other game you talked about was Edith Finch, right? So, even though I wasn't on the episode, I've played that game. Very straightforward right. story. No one's going to deviate like you're going. It's like it's like reading a book like you'll read a book and go, wow, this book's really good. And then you'll be like, you guys should read this book to someone else. And then as soon as they're done reading the book, you're going to be super excited and want to talk to them about the book versus like this game is like if you gave them a book, uh, but like you you didn't put any page numbers and you just ripped out all the pages and you were like, read it however you want. Like, or like a choose-your-own-adventure book. Like, choose-your-own-adventure, and even then, like, it's kind of choose-your-own-adventure. It's more just, like, the story is told out of, like, order sometimes. So, like, what which one would you prefer typically for a video game, and why? Um, I think... So, first off, I love procedurally generated games. Um, what I automatically think of when I think procedurally generated is I think a No Man's Sky yeah. Um, how that game was procedurally generated. And if uh, you do not know what that game is, uh, you should definitely check it out because there's literally like, have you played No Man's Sky, Aaron? Yeah, I, I played a bunt. I played a butt ton of it at one point in my life. Okay. I haven't played it in uh, probably a couple years, but it wasn't like right after it came out, but it was like a couple years after it came out, I played a ton of it. Right. So No Man's Sky, unless you can think of something else, Eric, quite literally is the biggest video game ever made. Like in in terms of size of uh, what to do and where to go. I'm joking. Uh oh, oh well, actually Minecraft is a fairly good point too, <laughs> because that's procedurally generated. But there are literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of full size planets in this game that you can go to and explore and all that, and all that is procedurally generated. But, um, so that's normally what I think of when I think procedurally generated. But the thing is, is that game has a very definitive ending to it. Yes. Um, so that's what I was going to say. So, like, I, I would say, even though I think procedurally generated games are awesome, like, truly have, have revolutionized gaming in certain ways, I think I would still prefer a straight and narrow game, or at least a game where the narrative is straight and narrow, because I I feel like the more endings you put in a game, unless you're a big studio like Bethesda or Obsidian, who can handle the budget to make multiple endings um, and have the time to invest in that, you really shouldn't go for the multiple ending 
thing. However, I will say that from a gameplay standpoint, being Road 96 being procedurally generated definitely made it better uh, because uh, it, it made it better for discussions because like, just think of how interesting this has been, Eric, like us yep. saying, Oh, this happened to me, but this happened to me. Oh, that happened. I, that never happened to me. Like that's, uh, you know, the fact that we're talking about this game so much, like th- it definitely says something to the quality of the game and how good of an idea it being procedurally generated is the yeah. problem yeah, I, I mean, have is that they, I think they just did not have a clear message or ending in mind. And that ended up negatively affecting them because they did not have the budget to flesh that out at all more than they did. Yeah. The only, the only pushback I will give it all because overall I love procedurally generated games. Like I love when there's procedurally generated elements to a game, even if the whole thing isn't like, as like if, if there's a repeat aspect to a game and everything's going to be randomized, like that just makes things better. Um, at the same time though, I will say the only pushback or criticism I have is that it makes, um, talking about the game before you've completely finished it with someone else, uh, harder. So like we knew that neither of us were going to be able to sit down and like completely 100% this game, by the time that we wanted to like record this episode. So we played it a ton. We both did a little research outside of it, but for the most part, like if we were just like two friends and we were both interested in this game, it would really limit the amount of conversation that we would, I think feel comfortable having with each other until we both had like 100% of the game and knew that we weren't going to spoil like anything for the other person. Like it would, it would be difficult to have like an ongoing dialogue versus other, um, like story driven, whether it's like an RPG or it's like just any campaign based game, you could like be like, Hey, have you gotten to this point yet? And then if they're like, yeah. Or if they're like, no, then you just figure out where they're at. And then you can talk about everything that happens before then, even though you guys both haven't like finished the game completely. Right. Yeah. Like I, I think it goes back to what we talked about before, where the journey is this game's strongest. uh, That is true. Strongest quality. Whereas the end of the journey is okay. It's good, but it's not anything like that's not what anyone's going to be talking about when they talk about this game. They're going to be talking about all the things that happened between the beginning and the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a hundred percent just accurate. I know. I know. Pretty smart guy. Um, Pr- so pretty, pretty uh, smart guy. Uh, Eric, do you have any more closing comments before we, before we wrap up here because your boy could use a nap and I also need to go fix my car. So Nope. I uh that's basically all I have. So I uh, appreciate you having me on. Hopefully I'll be back on soon. I'm should be. I feel like we've already made plans for me to be back on. So Oh yes. Oh Eric, I forgot to ask the most important question. Oh uh, what what is the most important question? Eric is Rote ninety six a piece of art? Uh yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is a piece of art. It's got good uh, sound and visual design. It's got good storytelling, and it has good commentary. I, I think anyone who wants to describe art, all those things apply to it. Okay, great. I think I might 
change the nature of that question and like pretend that I'm opening up a pixel snobs museum and be like, Hey, does this game go into the museum? You know what I mean? When, when I'm rich enough from doing this podcast to open up a video game museum, like, of course, am I putting this game in the museum? And then you would say yes or no, but we'll see. Well, here we go. You ready for this? Mm -hmm. I would absolutely make a display for uh road 96 in the pixel snobs museum. Oh, beautiful beautiful there you go now you can just edit that in and everything's good or i'll just be too lazy and just leave it the way it is so. <laughs> all right well, well we'll see we'll see we'll see well eric thank you very much for being on the show of course, um of if course. you end up being a a permanent co-host i will look forward to hosting this podcast with you till the day i die uh but before that um as, as we close out here, do you have any uh, fun games you want to suggest, whether it's just something you're having a good time with right now or something that holds a special place in your heart or something artistic? Yeah, what I'll, do you got I'll give a, I'll give one that I did play, one that I'm currently playing, and then two that are going to be definitely upcoming plays. And I think we'll do some episodes on some of these from conversations I've had with you. So As Dusk Falls is a great uh, narrative-driven game. It has even less... Uh, actual like gameplay mechanics than Road 96, but an incredible story. So if uh, Road 96 scratches that itch of a good story-driven game, I would highly suggest As Dusk Falls. Uh, playing Moonlighter, that is uh, kind of a dungeon crawler uh, with the old-school kind of pixelated look. And then I will be playing soon High on Life and Death Loop, which are both uh, looking really good. So that's what I, that's what's going on with my gaming life currently. All right, sounds pretty groovy. Well. Uh... Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, just remember. Oh, man. I got to think of something. Oh, I got something. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, just remember that Call of Duty is not a piece of art. Have a good one.